Fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God the Father. Our text for our sermon is the gospel history according to St. Matthew, as recorded in chapter 26, verses 37 through 39. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. This is the gospel of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I have never had a colonoscopy, but in my vocation, I've had people describe them to me in details I would never want otherwise. That's not the point of today's sermon, but one of the things that they have to do for that is, it's over 44 ounces of this solution they have to drink. See, the point is, to be able to put a camera and look inside the body, they need that body to be clean. So this solution makes you sick. It makes the body cleanse itself in the area where the camera is going. And they say as you start to drink that solution, it tastes terrible. Because it makes your body sick, people have told me, if you ever have that done, pick the flavor packet that they give you. Pick the one you like the least, because you will not be able to stand that flavor for two or three months. I'm told the slower you drink it, the harder it is to get it down. People have told me they've tried to chug it, but it's slimy and warm. Others have said, so they put it in the refrigerator. But then after chugging it, when it kicked in to cleanse the body, not only were they miserable, they were freezing. This cup that's meant to do good is painful. It's hard to finish off. And the sad thing is, if you've been through it before, it's even more miserable because the second or third time around, you know what's going on. Jesus is talking about a cup that is far more miserable than something that is designed to cleanse the body. And yet the cup he is to drink from is your and my eternal well-being. He takes the disciples. It's after he's instituted the Lord's Supper. He stops along the way and he says the prayer. They enter the Garden of Gethsemane. He leaves all but the inner three, the three that in Sunday sermon were there to see him transfigured three months earlier. He brings them along with him and he leaves them right there at the edge. And, and, and he goes and he says that prayer. And part of that prayer is about that cup. What is the cup that our Lord is about to drink? It's the punishment for our sins. He will be arrested that night. By the morning, he will be flogged and beaten. He will be nailed to a cross. He'll refuse the painkiller. He'll hang there naked on the cross. Now, not too long ago... Mel Gibson produced a movie called The Passion of Christ. And when the Roman soldiers went to beat Christ with the cat of nine tails in his movie, those had metal hooks. And they show a soldier, he hits a table, a wooden table, and he pulls back and they rip chunks of wood off. That's not quite accurate. What they did is they took shards of pottery and then they pounded those leather strips uh, with that between that pottery and it would get that pottery into those cat of nine tails. And then when they hit you, they would cut your flesh open. After the Civil War, a lot of pictures were taken of abused slaves. And you see the welts, the scars from the welts on their backs that they would have the rest of their life. Now imagine having pottery in there to cut your skin open as well. But that wasn't the worst part of it. 
We know from the pagan Roman poet Cicero, for example, that when a person was crucified, after hanging there for a while, the muscles would start giving out the diaphragm because they stretched the body and pulled the bones out of joint. That, that a person would have a problem breathing and to stay alive longer, they actually had to pump their legs so that their body would start acting, start pushing their diaphragm like a billows. This is why they broke the legs of the two thieves on the cross. They wanted them dead before uh, sunset because that would mark the Sabbath day. But Jesus had already died. That wasn't the worst part of it. See, you and I can imagine the physical pain. And I'm told if you have had a colonoscopy, you understand certain cramps that are terrible pain. If you've had a child, you understand pain. We can imagine the physical pain. But the part that defies our understanding, and thankfully we never will have to understand it, is the spiritual torment. You see, hell is being abandoned by God. Scripture talks to us in ways we can understand, so it talks about the worm that won't go or the flames, but the true punishment of hell is being abandoned by God. Even the most God-hating, vehement atheist does not know what it's like to be abandoned by God in this lifetime. If they die still hating the Lord and not trusting in Jesus, they will know what it's like. True God became true man, not only so he could live perfectly and you're in my place, never sinning once so he could credit us with that, but the wages of sin is to be abandoned by God. It blows my mind and it defies my ability to understand that true God abandoned true God on the cross. When Jesus cries out, cries out Elioi, Elioi, lama sabachthani, translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is suffering the torments of hell for you and I, so you and I will never know what it is like to be abandoned by God. And that makes us so thankful for our Savior. What defies my ability to understand is how true God in three hours' time can suffer the torments of hell for every one of my sins, suffer an eternity of hell for every one of your sins and every one of the world's sins, and yet get it done in three hours. Jesus knows what's ahead. While he's not using all the powers of his Godhood, he knows what's coming. He is God. And he knows the cup he's going to drink from. Throughout this Lent season, we will go to dark Gethsemane, kind of using that hymn that, of that name, go to dark Gethsemane. Your Redeemer's conflict, see, we're going to see his conflict there in the garden. And we see his conflict already here. The Redeemer's conflict, see, because the punishment for our sin is great. Never trivialize it or think it was something small. God is just winking. Jesus knew the pain that was coming, the spiritual pain. But there's also something he teaches us. You see, because he drank from that cup, you and I don't have to. He drank it to the dregs. He drank all of it. So our sinful nature, when hard times come upon us in life, we think God has forgotten us, that God is punishing us. That's not the case. Jesus drank all of that cup for us. But you notice he took the inner circle of disciples with him. In fact, John, uh, in his gospel, refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. In English today, we'd say his best friend. Jesus brought them along for comfort. Never forget, brothers and sisters in Christ, when the hard times of life are coming upon you, it's not a punishment from God. Jesus drank that cup, but Jesus not only has saved you and forgiven you and is using it for your good, but he's given you brothers and sisters in Christ that you can turn to for consolation. Lean on your brothers and sisters in Christ. Our Savior did. 
In fact, our brother, Jesus, the God-man, drank the whole cup for us so we would never have to know what it's like ever to be abandoned by God. Do you notice as he says that, he says that prayer which we're going to talk about here in a moment. He says, not your will, but my will be done. Jesus never shirked away from drinking that cup. People dread it when they have to drink that solution for that medical procedure. They don't look forward to it. Jesus knew he was going to be abandoned by God. He knew the beating. He knew the crucifixion. But he didn't shirk away from it. Why? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit made a plan before they said, let there be light. God knows all things and everything that could possibly ever happen in the outcome of every possible decision we could make. And while he created Adam and Eve holy, they did fall into sin, but God had already made a plan. He didn't, he didn't plan it for them to fall into sin, but he made a plan to deal with their fall into sin. And that plan would be that God would live as our substitute, the God-man, and that he would drink that cup for us. So Jesus Christ, out of love for the Father, the Son, himself, and the Holy Spirit, for that plan that was made before they said, let there be light, did not shirk away. But here's the even neater thing, brothers and sisters in Christ. Read Ephesians chapter 1. Read Romans chapter 8. And you find out that before God said, let there be light, he already planned for you. To hear his word, to hear that Jesus drank the cup of the punishment for you so that you would be forgiven and have eternal life. He already planned that you'd hear that message and planned to plant his Holy Spirit in your heart through that very message so that you would believe that message. Jesus loved you too much to shirk away from drinking that cup. One of my favorite passages of the Old Testament is Isaiah 49. Isaiah prophesying ahead to the time when God would allow Babylon to conquer Jerusalem. And he says, but Zion says the Lord has forgotten me. The Lord has abandoned me. And God replies back, he says, can a mother forget the baby at her breast? Though she may forget, I will never forget you. And he says, see, I've written your name on my hands. Now, Hebrew and Greek both considered the wrist to be part of the hand. That's where they put the nails. Think of those nail marks, part of that cup that he would drink, as Jesus carving your name into his hand. Because he loves you that much. He drank that cup because he didn't want you to have to. Think of him on the cross specifically for you because he loves you that much. Go to dark Gethsemane. Your Redeemer's conflict see. The punishment for our sin is great, but out of love for God and love for you, he did not shirk away. He drank that cup down to its dregs, every last drop. So let's take a look at that prayer that he says. He goes off a little further from the inner three and he falls face down to the ground and prays, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus is not shirking away from the cup, nor is he sinning. He's true God. What he's saying is, if there is another way. Remember, he has hidden all of his godhood, and he's not using all the powers of his godhood, but he doesn't say this in a sinful way. In that hymn, Go to Dark Gethsemane, which we'll sing next week, there's a little portion that says, Learn of Jesus Christ to pray. It says it poetically. You see, because Jesus drank all the dregs of that cup for you and I and has given us faith, we can pray to God. God does not hear the prayers of unbelievers because they have rejected the blood of Christ. They don't have the forgiveness of sins and their sin separates us. But because you know of Jesus Christ, because you trust in Jesus, because you know he drank the cup for you and the Holy Spirit leads you to trust that, 
you know God hears your prayers. And listen to the prayer Jesus said. Not my will, but your will be done. He comes back, he finds the disciples asleep. That's next week's sermon. Then he goes back and prays again. We're told he went away a second time and prayed, My Father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Notice the prayer's changed. All right, there's not another way. If there's not another way, may your will be done. And then he comes back, finds the disciples asleep and says, We're told at Matthew 26, verse 44, So he left them and went away one more time and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer to say, Thy will be done. And he's teaching you and I a wonderful way here, although here he is truly saying, Your will be done. You and I, we have problems. We drink from terrible cups in this life because God cursed this earth so that we would not get attached to it. But you know... I've been guilty too many times of praying to the Lord, but praying the solution to him, not focusing on the problem, but the solution. You know, the Lord, if you just let me win the lottery, then money could be my God and I would think it would solve all my problems. And God answers that prayer by saying, no, Fred, I'm not going to let that be your God. I love you too much. But we have a tendency to bring the solution to God, not the problem. But God drank from that cup and drained it completely for you, which is proof to, for you and I that he has our best in mind. He loves us and he's not going to let us suffer anything that he can't use for our well-being. And so we can simply bring the problem to him. Lord, I'm sick. Lord, finances aren't great. Lord, I'm worried about my children. Lord, I'm concerned for my neighbor. God says, I hear you. And I am going to answer to what is best for you. So we can learn of Jesus Christ to pray, Thy will be done. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, as we've spent our short period of time this evening there at Dark Gethsemane, we see as we go to Dark Gethsemane, your Redeemer's conflict see. We see the punishment for our sin is great, but Jesus drank from that cup willingly and drained it, drank all of it, so you and I wouldn't have to taste one drop of it. Because out of love for God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that had planned this, and out of love specifically for you to make you his brother, his sister in all eternity. And yes, we also look to our brother who is our God, Jesus Christ, and we trust in him and we learn to pray, Thy will be done. Amen. And now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you all. Amen.